In the age of Instagram and social sharing, brick-and-mortar businesses offer a unique advantage that even the biggest and best online platforms can't compete with. On Brick and Mortar Reborn, we talk with business owners and industry experts about what they're seeing work best for brick and mortar businesses who aren't just competing with their online counterparts, but thriving in spite of all the options that customers now have. We'll share exactly what you can do to set yourself up for success with an experience that wows your customers and keeps them coming back for more. And now our host, Bobby Maramat. Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of Brick and Mortar Reborn. Today we have a very special guest with us, Amish Tolia. He is the founder and co-CEO of Leap. Amish, welcome. Thanks. Appreciate it, Bobby, and uh, looking forward to, to chatting with you. Absolutely. I know uh, you're probably really busy, so again, thanks for taking the time. I think our listeners are really going to enjoy this conversation here. Before we start to dig in, if you don't mind giving us a little bit of, uh, you know, maybe trajectory of Leap, how you got started, what Leap does, and then we'll, we'll go from there. So at the highest level, Leap is a platform that executes retail strategies for modern brands. And effectively, what we've done here is we've, we've the platform we've developed abstracts away, you know, every component that goes into sort of a profitable and efficient brick and mortar retail strategy for the right brands. And we deliver it back to those brands turnkey. And so the easy way to think about it is we power physical locations that help brands create omni-channel customer dynamics. And uh, you can walk into any of our stores today and an individual store looks like a specific brand. It's their flag outside of the store and it's just their product on the shelves. So one brand, one store, but under the hood, we actually power the entire location. So we actually sign and you know guarantee the real estate, the leases or the license agreements. We actually drive a, a lion's share of sort of the, the design and development of the store location. We staff and we operate the store in its entirety. Most of the technology in the store is, is fully proprietary to leap which integrates directly into a brand's e-commerce so that two-way data communication exists and omni-channel pathways can exist. And so you take that all together and effectively we deliver that back to a brand turnkey so they don't have to build the infrastructure in-house to get kind of a you know an offline scalable strategy and they can just work on a platform and it's done for them totally turnkey. And so to answer the other part of your question, we've been hard at work building the platform and commercializing it over the last 2 years plus. You know, we launched the business in July 2018. And we, you know, albeit through the pandemic, uh, we've been growing pretty quickly. Pre-pandemic, we were operating about 12 locations for six or seven different brands, mostly concentrated across New York, Chicago, San Francisco, and Southern Florida. And now kind of through the pandemic, post-pandemic, you could say uh, we are continuing to grow. We're adding new locations and you know new locations and brands every single week. Uh, in fact, actually, the next three or four weeks, we're, we're launching four new store locations. And um, yeah, we're pretty excited about the future of, of retail, albeit through this pandemic and uh, kind of the capability we've brought to the marketplace and what we deliver for, you know, brands, modern brands out there. That's super interesting. I mean, why do you think, you know, you've seen an acceleration uh, during the pandemic of, of brands kind of coming online? It's an interesting time, right? Of course, naturally, footfall and brick and mortars has been challenged over the last six plus months since kind of the shutdown mid-March. 
But interestingly enough, we're seeing some some pretty unique trends in the fact that if you can believe that physical, the right version of physical brick and mortar will continue to thrive and exist, you know, call it post-vaccine or, you know, some time period of now and into the future, many brands are sort of taking advantage of the fact that there's quite a bit of real estate available out there on significant discounts. And so they're continuing to sort of accelerate the channel and grow to, you know, a number of new locations that they, uh, you know, otherwise weren't anticipating to, or basically saying, hey, if I can hunker in my occupancy costs, you know, at a lower rate, they're going to continue to add locations. And so we've seen over the last couple months, footfall dynamics continue to sort of restore to pre-pandemic levels. In fact, actually, some of our store locations are actually seeing more footfall than they were pre-pandemic. And, you know, of course, as I said, some of the brands that understand the power of retail and omni-channel are continuing to accelerate their retail channel and and add new locations in markets they otherwise would not have considered pre-pandemic. Makes total sense. And and, and are you working with brands? I know you're working with a set of brands that are kind of direct-to-consumer. They want to get into brick and mortar and you're kind of powering that whole thing. Is that the bulk of your clients or, or are you seeing kind of clients that also are probably established and looking to go into new markets and, and go to new markets with you? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, you know, we, we started the business very much with the kind of the customer segment that you said initially, uh, very much kind of these rapid growth, direct to consumer e-commerce brands that ultimately wanted to get into brick and mortar but really didn't have the competencies or the infrastructure in-house to go do it in a sort of an efficient, profitable way. And of course, naturally getting into brick and mortar helps them kind of build the brand, build the credibility, and ultimately create those omni-channel customer economics that they're looking for. Because you know, most people out there know that you know, the omni-channel customer is, is worth a lot more than just an e-com customer or just a store customer. And so that's very much where we started the business and we continue to focus very much on that on that segment of customers. But to your second point, we are seeing a, a pretty diverse mix of brands that have done retail themselves in the past and are sort of looking to con- accelerate the channel and need some support on that front. Some of those brands, in fact, are looking to offload some of the risk that comes with retail and, and hence why doing it with a you know a platform like ourselves is interesting to them and there's certainly a number of brands that are you know traditionally wholesalers that have really only sold through the wholesale channel in the past but have been bolstering their direct to consumer efforts over the last couple of years and certainly covid has has accelerated that dynamic both direct to consumer online of course but also direct to consumer offline absolutely and so you your company basically creates the brick and mortar you know, location, if you will, puts in the technology. What do you provide back to these uh, you know, operators, if you will? As I said earlier, it's, it's sort of a turnkey dynamic. So really putting yourself in the brand's shoes, you go through our website and you provide us a set of information. And based on that information, you know, we can properly assess the risk and we're able to underwrite you correctly and based on you know the underwriting and the data that you provide you know we can we surface you know and, and show you locations that we think are of interest and if you actually push forward with one of those locations we can get a location up very very quickly you know usually between 30 to 60 days by the way it's a fully branded store 
And thereafter, once the store opens and we're operating, the analytics piece is, I would say, pretty robust. It's a hybrid of both quantitative and qualitative insights that are incredibly important for for these brands to have access to, not just from, you know, to your point of performance data of, hey, how many people walked by the store to how many people walked into the store to ultimately how many people converted in the store location and what was the AOV or UPT, et cetera, et cetera. But of course, also the qualitative data, which is which is in part and parcel probably as important as sort of the, the quantitative data. You know, a lot of these brands spin their flywheels incredibly quickly because they have these direct-to-consumer relationships. And one of the unique things about, obviously, an in-person dynamic is, of course, dependent on the category or what you're selling, being able to talk to a customer and understand how they think and feel and interact with your product is very helpful to help you make better product over time. So if you're a brand on the Leap platform, you know, you, you very much get a full suite of, of both qualitative and quantitative analytics and insights that you can then, you know, leverage to, to fuel your business. That's a great idea, by the way. And I know you probably already know that, but uh, this is, this could be, especially coming out of, you know, the pandemic uh, or in the next few years could be something that I think will, I think you'll do really well with because of the fact that I think also a lot of the learning that at least that we're getting from a lot of mall providers and a lot of brands, you know, thinking about their strategy of retail going forward, a, a lot of online brands are thinking about getting into, you know, kind of small footprint brick and mortar locations to complement their, their online strategies. And I think we're going to see malls also look a lot different as well in the sense that, you know, these larger department stores or larger kind of footprint stores are, are going to be probably either non-existent or, or, you know, become kind of smaller footprint stores. And we're going to see malls look a lot different than they have kind of before. So I definitely see a huge future for, for, for what Leap is doing. Well, thank you. We appreciate that. And obviously, you know, you, <laughs> you spend a lot of time in, you know, with, in the retail industry. So you've seen a lot, done a lot. And um, we're enthusiastic about the future. And we certainly believe that the retail 2.0 or what we believe, you know, what we call modern retail will continue to thrive now and into the future. And, um, you know, pre-pandemic folks would kind of describe that as smaller format, experiential in nature, much less inventory risk, much less real estate risk, things of that nature. We think that those trends will continue forward through kind of the pandemic and post-pandemic or post-vaccine. Yeah, it makes, make, makes total sense. So, uh, Amisha, so you've been, you know, working with different brands and, of course, looking at the retail space. Are there changes that you've seen in, in customer behavior you know, in the recent months or recent years? Oh, yeah, most certainly. I mean, the big macro statement here is that it really is sort of location dependent. And what I mean by that is, as I'm sure, you know, your listeners can probably, you know, the test that I'm sure there's people from all across the country, um, the way that different cities or markets are sort of dealing with COVID are, are different. And, and therefore, customer journeys, shopper behavior sort of follow suit, right? So the type of kind of trends that we're seeing between call it New York and Southern Florida are pretty different. But generally speaking, yes, I think, you know, for starters, people are much more are becoming much more adept at sort of the online shopping dynamic, naturally, you know, because they're just forced into that type of behavior because stores are closed or, you know, they don't feel comfortable going to the stores. That's kind of one. The second is most certainly people are adopting sort of new omni-channel pathways, right? So buying online, picking up in-store or curbside pickup, for example. 
Another one that we offer, for example, in our stores is um, last mile delivery. So actually getting, you know, product into the hands of your local customer using store inventory through sort of a last mile delivery effort. And so generally, you know, it's those types of trends. The last one I would say, of course, is, you know, the footfall we are seeing into the store is much more sort of intentional traffic. Folks that are coming in, understanding pre-visit what they're looking for, what their sizing might be, and, you know, are a little bit more intentional with their shopping, uh, less about the browsing and discovery as they, as they used to be. Makes sense. Makes sense. It's actually interesting because, uh, yeah, to your point, a lot of uh, people that maybe were not in tune or, or did not like online ordering and shopping, you know, were forced kind of into it, like you said. My parents being one of one of those uh, you know kind of groups, if you will. And what's interesting though is I think there's a lot of behaviors. At least looking at my own behavior, looking at you know my parents' behavior, looking at people kind of around me. There's a lot of things that still people want to do in store. They still want to like I, I won't buy clothes unless I go into a store, right? Uh, it's just my personal preference. And, and so I think there's a lot of kind of things that that people thought okay with online ordering and shopping that's going to kind of take over people's shopping habits and to a certain extent that, that'll increase people's shopping behaviors online. But I definitely think, you know, uh, the in-store environment and building an experience in-store and bringing people in is something that's never going to never gonna die. And in fact, becomes more important these days as people really crave to get out there and crave to kind of associate with brands and those experiences and all that good stuff. Yeah, no, I mean, we're right there with you. And, you know, I think we're not alone. There are certainly a group or several groups of or cohorts of customers that are, you know, share that sentiment. And um, especially if you're the folks that are living in larger urban environments, you know, that are generally in, in one of those urban environments for retail dynamics, right? Uh, restaurants and, and, and shopping or attractions and things of that nature, certainly COVID has been taxing because without those retail sort of dynamics, it's people are hard pressed to figure out what to do with their time outside of a little bit more increased work from home time, right? I think you're, yourself, my, probably myself, we see we probably catch ourselves working a bit more than we used to because the commute times are gone or being able to go out with friends to restaurants, you know, th- th- those things are changing. So Nevertheless, I think, you know, we kind of think about it as post-vaccine or post when people are really ready to take vaccines, we'll see a little bit of that behavior restore. And as I said already, we're seeing some of that behavior restore across of our fleet, in fact, even to a, you know, a higher degree than that of pre-pandemic. And I think people are, you know, very, very uh, open and willing, at least in some of the markets that we operate today, you know, to, to wear the mask and, and, and do the safe social distancing dynamics because yes, they want to get out. They want their craving interaction with friends, family, you know, and, and going into destinations to enjoy that, you know, food or shopping, whatever it may be. So yeah, I think we're, we're, we're right there with you and um, fully agree with that dynamic. It's actually interesting as we talk about Omnichannel, one of the questions that we really get a lot from retailers is, what should I do? And what should I not do when I'm, you know, creating my Omnichannel experience? Do you have any guidance to these listeners that are thinking about, I want to get this right. I want to make sure I don't make really too many mistakes here as I build this up. Any sort of general guidance here? So I think there's a few things, right? Predominantly, brick and mortar naturally is a channel where you can be less iterative than that of e-commerce. E-commerce, you get data quickly and you can optimize quickly. So to the extent that you can emulate that sort of iterative 
work culture in the retail channel is incredibly important. So can't stress enough, making sure that data is really driving decisioning is very key. And that spans the entire sort of retail cha- uh, strategy from, you know, how you think about real estate site selection to how you should be thinking about merchandising selections for the store location, or how you should be thinking about even the, the operating costs of the store. What kind of occupancy costs can you afford based on certain sell-through rates? You know, what kind of labor programs should you put in place based on performance? And then ultimately, you know, ensuring that you have, to the extent that you have an online business, ensuring that the store strategy can be connected and very well integrated because in today's world, shoppers are 100% expecting that of an omni-channel customer journey, right? If you buy something online, you expect to be able to return it into store, or if you buy something in store, you expect to be able to return it to web, et cetera, et cetera. So the point one is, you know, just ensure that data is driving decisioning and you take an iterative culture towards the channel. Two, I think it goes, it's a little bit easier said than done, but you have to, you know, remain kind of try to remain unemotional about the retail channel. And many times what happens is that brands and decision makers get emotional about their specific location that they want to go into because it's the first manifestation of their brand in a real physical setting. And while that is very, very important, many times you can kind of get over your skis on committing to rent numbers that are that are massive, right? Where you know you may not have the right data at, at a particular point to to invest that heavily. So you know you want to take a little bit of uh, the gut and emotion out of it to the extent that you can. So a bunch of nuggets in there, but I would say those, those are probably the the most important couple that I would impress upon folks. As you've been kind of associated with different brands, whether the brands that kind of work with you or or maybe personal brands that you like to shop at, either way, what are some amazing kind of in-store experiences that you've seen in retail? Oh, man. Well, you know, if you're going to ask that question, I'd be remiss to say that, of course, one of our, our Powered by Leap doors is not one of the most incredible experiences we've shopped, right? Uh, no, I, I actually do. I will say that objectively... If you shop one of our doors, like let's take one brand, you know, we power today. It's a um, premium basics brand called Good Life Clothing, both men's and women's. We have two store locations for them here in New York City. Take one of the doors. It's a West Village door on Bleecker Street where we have a few of our other stores, actually, as we create these clusters of store locations. It's at 400 Bleecker Street. I mean, it, it is a nice representation of really putting the customer first. So the reason why that store is there is because we understand that that's where a high concentration of good life customers cluster. You know, that's why we open there. The merchandising decisions that we've put made to, you know, for product in that store is really driven by data based on what customers care about, what they want to buy. And I would say that the omni-channel pathways are a really nice representation of putting the customer first, right? You can buy online at Good Life and you can return into a Good Life powered by Leap store totally seamlessly, right? Cross-merchant, cross-channel. And by the way, all of those other pathways exist. So buying online, picking up in-store, curbside pickup, last mile delivery, in some cases, even fulfillment of e-commerce orders from the store location. And so... There's no no challenges for the shopper when they go in and they say, hey, oh, I, I can't remember what size I am. I bought online three months ago and I can't remember exactly what it was. Well, you know, easy. We can pull up that transaction record. No problem based on a, you know, a specific identifier. 
and we can understand exactly what size you bought and we can then best cater to that customer in the store to get them what they need, right? So I would say that, you know, that's a really good example of, of exemplary. And of course, naturally, I will always cite Apple as another exemplary sort of, you know, retail operator. I mean, they do an exceptional job across the board from, you know, catering to the customer to making their customers feel safe and health, you know, putting their health and safety first in today's COVID environment to best in class teams and training. I think they do a very, very nice job. You know, another, another one that obviously comes top of mind is Sephora. I think Sephora has done a fantastic job just around sort of the, some of the unique components that go into the beauty category, specifically around personalization and what really their customers care about as it relates to their own personal needs and wants regarding beauty products. So, you know, I, th- I would say that those, those are some of the top ones that I would really cite as uh, exemplary sort of retail retailers. No, those are great. Those are great examples. Uh, I, I love uh, Nike too. Nike, Nike does a good job with associating with the different types of shoppers that they have and being able to give you education, but also interactivity and even now, you know, kind of commerce in some of their locations. So, so I think it's a good mix of things. Uh, but I, I love your examples there. Those are great. Amisha, as, as you've been, um, you know, kind of uh, in the in the tech world, if you will, what are some technologies that you you saw being adopted faster than you you initially expected? Most certainly, creating omni-channel for shoppers is more important than ever before, given the environment, right? And ensuring that you can cater to the customer regardless of where they're shopping, online, offline, etc. So there's a number of technologies that sort of kind of constitute you know, an omni-channel strategy from how you do inventory management to your POS. And so certainly those technologies within are sort of, you know, top of mind for folks. For us, there's probably a, a few things that COVID has certainly catalyzed as it relates to our, you know, customer experience and shopping experience, namely around sort of Things like, you know, virtual appointments or just appointments, generally speaking. We now offer appointments across our fleet of stores, both in person and virtual. So technologies like appointment scheduling software to, you know, actually creating digital lookbooks of the product we have in the store to give shoppers the inspiration they need that they traditionally would have if they came into the store, creating those sort of personalized lookbooks, right? So appointment softwares, another one is sort of, you know, clienteling software have, have really become very important to us um, to make sure that, you know, we can double down on the relationships that, you, that, are, that our field team has with their local customers and can, can leverage that technology to ensure that the relationships stay very top of mind and can cater to the needs of, the, of those customers. So I'd, I'd say that those are probably two paramount sort of technologies that we've ensured that we've layered on into our capability set to weather or kind of get through this time period. Makes sense. Makes sense. And what, what technology do you think, uh, if you had to, if you're a guessing man, you know, what technology do you think will have the biggest impact on shaping the future of brick and mortar retail? It's absolutely the first piece of what I said, just making sure that you're, that retailers have sort of integrated omni-channel systems so that data is not in silos and inventory is not in piles, separate piles, that ultimately there is universal inventory and therefore the customer can best be catered to is really, really, really important in today's environment and, and going forward, frankly. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. One of the questions that's come in from, you know, some of our brick and mortar operators on the retail side is what are some, as, you know, kind of brands think about getting into a retail environment, what are some of the biggest hurdles or pain points on store management that brick and mortar retailers face that prevents them from, from growing and really kind of uh, from your experience, why they should, you know, use a platform like yours if they're thinking about growing kind of faster in that sense? Yeah, it's a good question. I think we, you know, we touched on one of those things, which is sometimes decisions are made without, or not sometimes, but a lot of times decisions are made not using data, but using gut. And therefore that gut can take retailers in the wrong direction as it relates to the viability of their retail channel, i.e. is it too costly? Do they not have the right inventory to support a four-wall P&L? You know, so, so making sure that the gut is sort of taken out of it, right? That's one. The second is ensuring that they build the right systems, processes, and talent plans to ensure that they can create the right sort of operational bandwidth, right? Supporting kind of the their the aspirations in the in the retail brick and mortar channel, right? Um, hiring talent and retaining that talent far too often becomes sort of an afterthought, right? Because you're generally kind of caught in between many different things because you know retail is complex it's a it's a there's a number of moving pieces that you have to get right to really get it to hum correctly and work for you profitably and so ensuring that store teams and retail associates are are top of mind and you know talent plans can exist and career pathing can exist so that you know people are with you for you know um not just the short term but the long term so I think those are, you know, a couple that are kind of top of mind. That's awesome, Amisha. That, that was a wealth of information. Thank you again for, you know, again, spending some time with us. Before we let you go, uh, what are some some of your favorite places to visit and or restaurants and or retail stores in, in the New York area? Oh, God. You know, I, 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 of course, I'm going to have to answer this question, you know, <laughs> put, put, putting our stores first. But actually... I will say our West Village cluster of stores is is really awesome. You know, every time I get on the ground and go see them, it, it, you know, I, it's it's incredibly exhilarating. Actually, we 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 power three different stores, soon to be a fourth, all within a few blocks of one another. Um, Good Life Clothing at 400 Bleecker Street, Nodham, which is a cashmere brand at 392 Bleecker Street, a brand called Something Navy at 392 Bleecker Street, and something in store for 330 Bleecker Street. Um, so it's always fun for me when I walk up and down Bleecker and really feel immersed in the West Village and then see these you know, awesome retail stores and bringing awesome product and brands to the neighborhood there. So that's, that's certainly top of mind. In today's environment, though, I will add, um, New York really feels like something unique and special right now. Um, naturally, with COVID dynamics, you know, there's definitely a slowdown in, in what traditionally has been the busiest parts of New York, like Midtown and Soho. So it's it's uh, right now being in sort of a bit of more of the residential neighborhoods like West Village or the East Village or, you know, um, Tribeca or West Soho, et cetera, or NoHo. Um, it's it's really special and charming. And, and, and a lot of these restaurants have done a fantastic job. I give them a lot of credit building sort of their kind of quite nice homey outdoor apparatuses to try to keep their businesses as sustainable as practically possible. And so there's every single day we're kind of discovering new locations that we otherwise would not have gone to in the past because of how nice of a job they're doing with their outdoor dining options. So there's a lot in New York to be super excited about right now. And, uh, you know, I'm certainly one 
that's uh, you know taking advantage of of sort of the the newness, if you will, or the uniqueness, if you will. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you again for spending some time with us, and uh, I'll be sure to kind of visit and come visit your your cluster of stores there in West Village when I come to New York next. Awesome. We'd love to have you, Bobby. Awesome. Awesome. Again, thanks for your time, and uh, we'll we'll be talking soon here. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Brick and Mortar Reborn. To find the resources mentioned in this show and detailed show notes, head over to brickandmortarreborn.com.